Hi, my name is Brent Ersenbeck. I'm here with Mark LaLiberté with Construction Instruction. We're going to talk about energy efficiency in buildings today. Mark, how are you? Welcome. Doing great, thank you. And how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, first subject, can we build a house too tight? Well, you know, it's probably the most common thing I've, I've heard in, in nearly 40 years of doing this, um, is that it seems, it seems pretty um, conventional that we would say, why would I seal up a building and uh, not let it breathe? And that's why it's a funny term, you know, houses don't really breathe. Um, air moves in and out of them. But a house doesn't, house doesn't really breathe unless it has a forced element on it, right? Something's got to drive that. And so what we really lear learned is that houses have to be built tight so I can control them. And control is what we expect for our, ourselves to be able to do. I want to make sure I have the right amount of fresh air for my family, the right amount of heating, the right amount of cooling, and the right amount of filtration. So if that's the ideal condition of my environment, then I have to build a tight house to do that. And I can't make a leaky house um, function that way. It's kind of like being in your car, driving down the road and you're trying to stay comfortable and talk on the phone with the windows down and it's a cold day. Nothing is going to uh, satisfy that expectation. And even rolling up the windows, we know the difference between tight windows and ones that are whistling. So the idea is that tight is the only option to give us control. Lastly, tight gives us control of energy and the cost of energy because now we can say how much we put in and how much we need to take out in the cooling mode. Oh, okay, thank you. So if I'm understanding that correctly, we want to build it tight and control the amount of air moving in and out. And if my recollection is correct, people that say, oh, we're building a, too, a house too tight, as they want to rely on infiltration or leakage correct. to maintain air quality. Right, you know, the human body breathes about 9,000 liters of air a day, so that's my normal respiration cycle. Now, if I want to find a way to get that, I might as well open the window and make sure that I get a good breath of fresh air. What's in the house is all the retainage of carpet smells, um, pets, all the things, cooking odors, um, lifestyle. That's all going to stay within that building, so what I want to do is to provide ventilation then as a component to removing stale air and bringing in fresh air. But imagine if a house is leaking naturally. I don't know where it's coming from. So let's say it's some of it leaks in out of the garage. Some comes in from a basement with some moldy radon, whatever it could possibly be. Some comes out of the attic with insulation in it or maybe excess heat. None of those things are control. I don't want those. So if I was gonna control a building, I'd say build it tight. And that's to make sure water doesn't get in from the outside and that energy controlled uh, flow is what I'm shooting for. So now I've got a healthier, safer buildings, I know what's going on inside. I'm able to add or subtract based on my physiological needs and set up systems that give me easy control. Now that sounds like too much to do that, but it's actually very straightforward. Otherwise, I wait for a windy day to ventilate, a cold day to ventilate, which aren't the days that I want to ventilate at all. Okay, so we build this tight house, we control where we're bringing fresh air in. We don't have it just moving in and out of the wall and giving us fresh air around the perimeter of the house. Right. We're controlling it throughout the whole volume right. of the house. So how do we address the issues that are created when you build a tighter house? I mean, don't okay. we have, t today don't we have to face some issues that we did not have to face when a house just leaked a bunch and we... 
We, we felt so. We, we, we kinda, it kind of seemed that way. It seemed that as long as we let the house sit by itself and air move around it, it must be okay. But the challenge was that we didn't know where that generated moisture goes. So from lifestyle, cooking and cleaning and breathing, respiration, all that stuff. Um, uh, dogs, animals, pets. All that moisture that accumulates in the air has to go somewhere. And what would happen is it would either come up and just find its way out of the building, leak through a wall, up into the attic, maybe condense on the roof deck in a cold climate like, uh, like here in Utah. Um, and so I have no control again with what I'm generating in terms of, of uh, air quality. I also have a surface like a window, and the window is definitely going to be cold enough to create condensation. So the window condensation is my first indication that there's something visual that's telling me I have a problem over there. So, but isn't that condition happening anywhere else that that temperature would be at? Not just on windows. It could be on the sheathing and the walls. It could be on the roof deck. So what that glass is saying is, hey, you've got an elevated moisture level in relationship to my temperature. The dew point now is set up to say, when you find 50 degrees, there's going to be water on it. So your options are is increase the temperature of that surface or decrease the amount of humidity. Well, that's needing control, right? And if I don't have that, I'm going to say, you guys need to quit breathing. We need to shower somewhere else, and we can't cook at home anymore. That's control too, right? right. Either I control production or I control removal. And um, what this is basically is fundamentally saying is that uh, build a tight building to reduce condensation and moisture exfiltration, reduce air and wind from blowing in, which would mean uh, wind and water blowing in, and give my homeowner an expectation that kind of want us to be about 72 degrees and about 35% relative humidity. Could you get me to do that? And you're like, I'll be right back, <laughs> right? I can't do it even as an as a extraordinarily, extraordinarily talented HVAC guy. If somebody said, give me these conditions, you'd go, well, I can do that, but um, I don't know how good your envelope's going to be. So if I've got a leaky building, oh, it's going to be tough. I have to put it in probably a bigger furnace, probably a bigger humidifier, big ventilation system because I don't know when things are going to be working and when they're not. That's a lack of control. So again, the tight concepts result in problems if we don't sup supplement them with the obvious need for ventilation. Very good. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of, you know, I used to work in HVAC and we had put humidifiers on because we're in this dry climate right. and sometimes we couldn't keep up with the humidity demand, we'd have to put in steam humidifiers and right. all these types of devices. Exactly. Because the house was leaky. Right, exactly. And if the house was real tight, we probably don't have to humidify at all because Lifestyle. we're generating it. Right, I mean, imagine if you've got a, a humidifier putting three quarters of a gallon per hour in the, in the air for humidification, you're having a hard time keeping up. The first question is, where did that go? Because I'm exfiltrating, I'm not consuming moisture, right? I'm, I'm yeah. creating it. Right. Dogs are creating it. Family and lifestyle and cooking is creating it. So if you took three quarters of a gallon every hour and dumped it on the floor and said, I'll be back in an hour to dump some more on the floor, how does it disappear? And it has to either be exfiltrated out of the building or it has to be absorbed by other surfaces. And that's, again, not very much control. And it puts me at risk so that when it gets colder, the potential for that moisture to be driven to colder surfaces and last a while is more risky. So I'd rather have a really warm thermal enclosure and a ventilation system says the only moisture in my house that's generated by lifestyle or even a humidifier leaves through that six inch hole. 
and I'm going to take some of the heat out of it and maybe even remove some of the moisture, put that back in the air coming in so that I don't waste energy and I don't um, waste too much of the moisture because I don't mind recovering that if I could. Thereby comes a system called an energy recovery ventilator, which has been around for 40 years, right. right? So that's not new technology. And if I could recover a little of that exfiltration of moisture, as you mentioned earlier, maybe I'd need less humidification because it's start recapturing some of the production that me and my family are creating. Which leads us to what we've discovered is even in our dry climate, ERVs work better because we don't have to replace moisture. all that moisture. That's right. And even though you have a dry summer, um, other markets that have more humid summers, um, I want to make sure that the air coming from outside, if you ever have, like we live in, I live in Arizona, and in, in, in August we have the monsoons, you know, they come through, and we get an elevated rel relative humidity rise. Um, and that's really difficult for air conditioners to keep up with in a climate like this that's not excessively hot. So if my air conditioner doesn't run long enough, I can't dehumidify. Okay. So the ERV in the, winter, in the summertime then can say, wait a minute, I'm going to reject some of that outside moisture and bring in the fresh air, condition it a little bit before I bring it in and it's hot, and deliver that to the house. So it's a pretty smart device that says, based on the conditions, cold or hot, um, conditioned and humidified, I can help balance that with a very low cost, simple system. And that's, that's pretty critical that we look at houses and, and put those in every house to maintain good, healthy air quality. Very good. Uh, so as we talk about building tightness, the first thing that comes to mind is testing. Right. We're seeing blower door testing. The code wants you to blower door test everything. The state thinks in their infinite wisdom that they can change building science by legislation, which we all know doesn't work. Okay. Um, please explain the value of that blower door testing and and why yeah. every home should be yeah. blower door tested. Yeah, I think it's a great question. You know, I, I recently did a little lecture for a group of architects and I said to them, how many of you have been at a blower door test? And a very few <laughs> raised their hand and I said, so how do you design a building to be purely aesthetically pleasing and in no way perform? And how do you validate performance? Can you imagine getting our cars and saying, how, how fast that stop zero to 60? I don't know, probably if it's close enough. And um, I think that our houses need a blower door test because what its function is to say that I'm going to depressurize the house with a fan. I, I used the first blower door in 1984. This is not new technology, probably before you were born, I would imagine. But anyway, <laughs> um, but in 1984, I saw the first blower door test. What we did is we just set the front door up. We didn't really know what we were completely designing and measuring, but we said, okay, if I turn that blower door on and depressurize the house, I should be able to run and find leaks. I could find them in the back of my hand. I could find them with a smoke pencil, a stick of incense. We would see all this air come leaking in and saying, boy, we should probably fix some of that, most of it through the attic. So we would start caulking and sealing around the attic, and then the fellow down the blower door would say, okay, stop, we're probably tight enough, because <laughs> we didn't know the number, right? So as we moved along, we realized that there's a certain amount of leakage that we can get by with in the building if we supplement ventilation to optimize um, health, air quality, and very importantly, energy. But as an HVAC contractor, you know this all too well. There's pretty, basically few functions that make me design an HVAC system. I gotta know the performance of the windows. What's its thermal performance characteristics? I have to know the thermal performance of the wall and the ceiling, how much insulation, how well did it get put together? And then the last thing, and sometimes over a third of the load of the building is how tight is it? Now, if I don't know how tight it is, I have to guess. And if you're a heating contractor and you were, you would guess 
low or high if you had no idea. And you'd of course naturally go, well, I'm, I'm gonna guess high. If you guess high, you could imagine that, low, that increases the size of the equipment, which is there by first cost. So if I said, I'd really like to optimize as best I can the way I'm building my house, put the right size air conditioner and furnace in for the right size load. And you'd say that makes amazing sense. I can do that. Now let me get the sticker off your window. Got that? The amount of insulation in your wall. What's the framing frequency? Got that? And let me see the air tightness of your house. Well, I don't have that. Well, you need to go get that. And when you get that, I'll come back to you with an idea that says, this is the heating and cooling system that will fit your house. No house in um, Utah should be built without a blower door. In fact, no house should ever get built without a blower door. In Germany, in European countries, all houses are blower doored before they're completed so that I can define, is the house functioning the way I designed it? And I don't want to design it with a guess. I want to design it with accuracy. How many of our clients would like to say, I want you to get my house pretty close. If there's some leaks, I don't really care where they are. And it'll be fine. Just make sure there's some fresh air in a kid's bedroom. Don't caulk the plate down too tight. I think we're going to be fine. No one would say that because they're under the assumption that it's 2022, right? And there's codes that take care of this. We go, yeah, we just don't follow them. Yeah. It doesn't it, sound right. It, it reminds me of, you know, I've done thousands and thousands of load calculations. Right. And if you go to the ANSI standard, you know, manual J for load calculation, it asks you to make a guess right. on how tight the house is. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a definition for a tight house in a paragraph one for an average house and one for a loose house. And then it has semi-tight and semi-loose. And at those two, it just says someplace between tight and average or between loose and average. Right. And so yeah. it's, as you're saying, it's a guess. It's a guess. And maybe an educated guess as we look at it, but it's never gonna be accurate. No, and I'm also, I'm gonna guess, if I'm gonna guess in an engineering world, I'm gonna always guess high because I don't wanna be at risk for the wrong guess. So it doesn't mean, it doesn't even matter in structural buildings. If you looked at structurally, how many structural engineers guess low, right? When in doubt, add number five and let's put six more rebars in here right. than, than four. Right. We don't want to guess low if the information is inaccurate. So if a blur dark test comes in and says, hey Brent, uh, you know, here's the deal, it's amazing. This house came in at one air change for our 50 pascals. You go, oh, that's amazing. Take your software, the walls, the windows, Develop the actual value, one air change per hour. Oh, you're gonna need a three ton air conditioner. I would have put in a five without that information. That seems to be nothing more than a clarity of information and a clarity of outcome. And I think that those two things come together so beautifully when you test for performance. It's kind of like a plumber, you know, you pressurize the duct, I mean, you, pl plumber, uh, you pressurize the plumbing to make sure there isn't a leak. You do that with your ductwork. So I'm gonna put all this distribution um, system into get the air in all the rooms. What if it leaks? That's ah, fine, it'll leak everywhere. And by the time it gets to the end, there's gonna not be any air left anyway. It'll just be going And so what I'll do is I'll just put a big blower in so that with all those leaks, eventually it'll show up at the other end. Doesn't sound like much engineering, right? Exactly. And so if I have a really nice distribution system that puts the air in the right spots, I size it correctly, my odds of success go way up because somebody of your caliber says, I'm, I'm accurate. I'm focused on doing the right thing with the right information. And that's how you're successful. That's the success of an HVAC contractor, that that's what I expect, that's what your client expects, that's what you should deliver. Very good. Last question. I see all this effort to seal a home. 
wrapping in Tyvek or similar materials or doing all these things. But I see that the garage wall, the wall between the garage and the house, does not receive that same attention. And I true. think that's probably a, a, an un unhealthy decision that's been made there. It is very, it's a very accurate assessment and, and it's a very true in all the testing work that we've done. At the Coe Climate Housing Research Center in Alaska, we determined about 30% of the makeup air was coming out of the garage. Now, when I look in the garage and what's in the garage, I don't want that air in my house. And the challenge is that the garage is, seems to be this weird zone between the inside and the outside. It doesn't have siding on it. It doesn't have a weather barrier on it. It just has two layers of sheetrock screwed together. So what would give me a motivation to put a weather barrier when it's inside the garage? That's, I wouldn't put tie back on that wall. So how am I gonna air seal the connection between the house and the garage? Because in the old days, we had disconnected garages, right? The garage right. was detached from the house. Right. And now because it was so far to walk, we screw them together, right? So now I've got a garage right next to the, uh, to the house so I don't have to walk in the snow. But that should be isolated and to do that is very easy but it's more complicated than we notice in terms of how much garage wall is exposed. If you go into today's houses, everybody wants the big garage. I see sometimes an entire wall, like the, you'll have a two-car garage on one side, an enormous amount of surface area, plus a bedroom over, overhead. Right. So that entire garage, that air, once I drive up my car after being on the freeway for a few hours, heated, smoked, oils, all the plastics, I'm gonna pull it in the garage and shut the door. Now all of those things, all those volatiles, are have to give off and go someplace. And I'd love to give them to my family, right? The strategy would be to have a small fan, which has been required in, in, uh, in Energy Star for years, um, in indoor air quality plus as well. You just put a small bathroom fan in the garage that's vented to the outside. When the car comes in, the motion detector turns the fan on and gets rid of the pollutants. Otherwise, I'm opening the door, going back and forth and bringing this into the house. If all that pollutants in the house, now I gotta go, now I've gotta ventilate at a higher rate and filter at a higher rate to get rid of the pollutants from the garage. So when you look at the garage, you should say, I don't want that in here. And so it's really astute that you're looking at that strategy. What am I gonna do? Could I put Tyvek on the wall of the garage, tack it up and tape it down and seal it up really good, then put drywall over it because it's extremely cheap, 25 cents a square foot's pretty cheap insurance and put that on the wall and now go, all right, this is perfect, or seal around the gaps with foam. Sometimes between the floors and the tuck under bedroom, I've got a duct hole that big for a duct this big. Well, all of that is part of my communication back and forth to the house. So look at the garage like it's an isolated room. Seal it as if it's an isolated room because it should be, and that way you'll change your view. You just gotta look at it and go, that's a pretty big hole. Maybe I should seal it. And that's what comes down to just isolation and, again, control. Thank you. You're welcome.